0: Merry Christmas. This is the Live to Shoot Podcast. With today being Christmas, I thought we'd do something a little different. What is to follow is from the American Minute and William Federer on why Christmas is on the December 25th and the history of many other Christmas traditions. William Federer is an author and teacher of American heritage, and his site, American Minute, has stories throughout history and and tells exactly what happened on those days. So enjoy and Merry Christmas. Hi, this is Bill Federer, and I thought I would share a little Christmas trivia, and I put together a book called There Really is a Santa Claus, the History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. And so with that, I thought it would be interesting to answer the question, why December 25th? Well, uh, we've heard lots of different reasons, but here's one. Um, For the first several centuries of Christianity, the date that was focused on was Passover. And they went to quite great lengths to determine this, uh, going to the Jews and asking them when they're celebrating it. Because Jesus was crucified on the Feast of uh, Passover, uh, right? The Feast of Passover followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread and then the Feast of First Fruits, which was on the third day. Uh, Jews didn't celebrate birthdays. Matter of fact, this was fairly common in the Middle East and in Asia. Even today, countries in the East, uh, like maybe Turkey or uh, Korea, uh, they would celebrate uh, with the new year, everyone that was born within that year would turn a year older. And so they wouldn't focus on your individual birthday. Uh, The Greeks celebrated birthdays. And uh, matter of fact, the early Christians considered it pagan to celebrate a birthday. But as more and more Greeks or Gentiles joined Christianity and became Christians, the question was asked, when was Jesus born? And so it's a little bit of a detective story to find out. And we go to the book of Luke, and it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, Herod is known to have died in 4 BC, and so what's the priestly division of Abijah? Well, it was was King David that divided the Levite families into 24 groups, and each family group took uh, two weeks a year, six months apart from each other, in which their family group was responsible for the temple in Jerusalem, all the sacrifices and all the care of it. And uh, so we know that Zechariah was of the priestly division of Abijah, but we don't know. Nobody knew the list until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. And amongst the scrolls was the Order of the Levites, and it lists the 24 family groups. And Abijah is the eighth group, the eighth division. Uh, but we don't know when they start, When what days they start. And now we have another clue. Josephus makes record that the Temple of Jerusalem in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD at the end of July, beginning of August. And of course, the Jews had their Jewish calendar months and they didn't completely align with the Roman calendars. And um, But uh, there is mention of the tribe, the Levi tribe that was on duty, the family group and it was the Jehoi Arab. And Jehoi Arab is the first course, and so the first family division. So if Jehoi Arab is, uh, that family division is on duty uh, the uh, first week of August, then eight weeks later would be the last week of September. And so that would have been when Zacharias was in the temple in Jerusalem with the priestly division of Abijah. Um, Now this is, an important clue uh, that week, by the way, is the Day of Atonement, which is the Yom Kippur when the sacrifice of his blood was brought into the holy holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat. And everyone's sins in the whole nation were forgiven for the past year. And they started the new year off with a clean slate. Obviously, that's foreshadowing Jesus. He is our atonement. And at the end of that week is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's when the Jews would build booths or uh, makeshift shelters to remember how they were 40 years in tents in the wilderness. And it's obviously uh, symbolic prophetically of being in heaven with God forever. So this was an important week, and this would have been why people were waiting outside for Zechariah to come out. Now, Zechariah was met by the angel, and the angel told him that his wife would conceive and bear the son, and his name was to be John. Zechariah doubted, so the angel had him be dumb where he couldn't speak because he didn't want him to speak any doubt because you have to be in faith for uh, God to work. And so Zachariah comes out, he can't talk, and then his wife conceives. And so the Byzantine Rite Church calendar, this, uh, the Eastern Church, marks September 23rd as the conception of John the Baptist as does a 2nd century Proto-Evangelium of St. James. So these are ancient documents. Now, if John the Baptist is conceived around September 23rd, uh, six months later is when the angel visited Mary and told her that she was going to conceive of the Holy Ghost and that her cousin Elizabeth was in her sixth month. So six months after September 23rd would have been the last week in March. And so March 25th is the traditional date to celebrate what's called the Annunciation, when the angel announced to Mary that she was going to conceive. So if Mary conceived around March 25th, nine months later is December 25th. And so one of the early church fathers was called Christensen, and uh, Susan K. Roll wrote in her book, Toward the Origin of Christmas, published 1995. She writes Christmas counts off the months of Elizabeth's pregnancy and dates Mary's conception from the six months of Elizabeth's, then counts off another nine months to arrive at the birth date of Christ. So, uh, December 25th uh, is the date traditionally to celebrate the birth of Christ. And there is uh, some significant evidence that this could be the date. I'm not dogmatic about this, because when you start matching up Hebrew calendars with Roman calendars, and sometimes can get a little confusing. But uh, there is justification that December 25th would actually be the date. People say, well, wasn't that Saturnalia, a Roman holiday? Actually, Saturnalia was December 21st to the 22nd, and that's the shortest day of the year it's called the winter solstice the earth goes around the sun and in an elliptical orbit and when it's the furthest away in that elliptical orbit it looks like the sun is standing still until it starts coming back closer to the earth and so this happens in the winter so that's called the winter solstice soul meaning sun stis meaning still and then the opposite six months you have the summer solstice and then in between you have the uh, equinox. Equa means equal. Nox means night, and so this would be the fall equinox and the spring equinox, and um, and so. But the winter solstice is December twenty first, twenty second. It's not December twenty fifth, and so we can't we can scratch that off to say that Christmas substituted uh, Saturnalia and the the winter solstice, and then people say, well, there there uh, were uh, would have been cold. In Jerusalem, and there wouldn't have been sheep's in the field. Well, uh, there, uh, the climate of Jerusalem is similar to Flagstaff, Arizona, and so it never really gets cold. Maybe down into the forties at nighttime in the winter, um, and so they would have had sheep, sheep there because they had daily sacrifices at the temple. So they would have needed the sheep. So um, anyway. Thought that would be interesting. But whenever the date was, the most important thing is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we're all sinners. God is a just God. He has to judge sin. If God does not judge a sin by default, he's giving consent to the sin. And if God gives consent to one sin one time, he denies him his just nature. He denies himself. And he cannot deny himself. So he came up with a plan. And the plan is his own son would become the lamb and take the judgment for all of our sins upon himself on the cross. This way you and I can approach and spend eternity with a just God without having to worry about being judged. Right. So the lamb is God's plan to love you without having to judge you. Um. One of the other things that I bring out in the book, there really is a Santa Claus, is the story of St. Nicholas. And St. Nicholas is the most popular Greek Orthodox saint. He is to the Greek Orthodox what St. Peter is to Roman Catholics. And in a way, the same way that St. Patrick is to the Irish. And so uh, St. Nicholas was very important to them. He lived during the Roman persecution period of time. And there were three centuries of Roman persecutions. The worst was Diocletian. And we remind ourselves that uh, 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred. And John uh, was thrown in a pot of oil and survived, but it was um, uh, Diocletian that did the worst persecution. He purges the military and then uses the military to persecute Christians uh, all throughout the Roman Empire. So during this time, Nicholas becomes a, a bishop. I, I tell the whole story; it gets pretty involved. Um, and uh, but Nicholas. W- wanted to help the poor but he wanted to do it anonymously so at nighttime he would throw money in the window of poor people and supposedly the money would land in a shoe or a stocking that was drying by the fireplace one story became very popular was a merchant in the town of patara asia minor today that's turkey uh, had gone bankrupt and back then the creditors would not only take your house and lands they would take your children and so he he knew if he uh, his children were taken he had three beautiful daughters It would be a terrible life of prostitution for him. And so the father thought if he could hurry up and marry his daughters off, the creditors couldn't take him. Unfortunately, he did not have money for a dowry, which was needed in that area of the world for a legally recognized wedding. Nichols heard the problem late one night, throws some money in the window, uh, provides the dowry for the oldest daughter, does another night for the second daughter. When he throws it for the third, the dad runs outside and catches him. And Nicholas makes the father promise not to tell where the money came from because he wanted the glory to go to God, not to him. And so that's the origin of the tradition of secret gift giving on the anniversary of Nicholas's death, which was December 6th of 343 A.D. And so the midnight visit, St. Nicholas uh, and the stockings by the fireplace. And um, there's more there. Um, When the Muslims invaded uh, into what is today Turkey, uh, they would destroy graves, and so that's when they moved the grave of St. Nicholas over to Italy in the year 1087. Uh, many are not aware that in the year 846 AD, 11,000 Muslim warriors invaded Rome, Italy, and they did trash the bones of St. Peter and St. Paul. So this was a legitimate threat. And But 1087, they move Nicholas's bones over to Italy. The Pope dedicates the church And the Pope's name is Urban II. You know him because he's the same Pope that went to the Council of Claremont and begged the European kings to send help to these Greek Christians. They do send help. It's called the First Crusade. And so that's the Crusades were because the Muslims were invading the Byzantine Empire. uh, the uh, gift giving became so popular that, sort of in protest in 1223 AD, St. Francis of Assisi comes up with the creche scene, the nativity scene. And, um, and then Martin Luther starts the Reformation and he ends all the saints' days uh, because by that time there's a saints' day for every day of the year. And he considers this a distraction. Churches were filled full of saints' relics and, and lots of altars to different saints. And so Martin Luther cleans that out and says all the gifts come from the Christ child. The German pronunciation of Christ child is Chris Kindle, which is where you get the word uh, kinder care, kindergarten. Kind means child, and Chris meaning Christ. And over the years, Chris Kindle got pronounced Chris Kringle. And so when they say Chris Kringle, it's really Chris Kindle, which means the Christ child. Uh, another interesting thing is uh, the tree. And people say, well, it's a pagan thing. Well, let's look at it a little closer. We're all familiar with St. Patrick and how he evangelized the Druid pagans in Ireland uh, somewhere around 400 A.D. And they were all illiterate, and he wanted to teach them the concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, three in one. And so he used the three-leaf clover. And uh, so now we fast forward. There's another missionary. From Britain, the same as St. Patrick was from Britain. But this missionary his name is named Saint Boniface, also called Winfred. And he lived six to six seventy-five A.D. to 754 A.D. And so this is the same time Muslims are invading into France and so forth. And so the Germans worshiped pagan gods, Woden. This is where you get the word Woden today, and they worship Thor. And that's where you get the word Thursday or Thursday. And so the, uh, uh, the Quakers, they were a movement in the 1700s. They refused to say Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, so they would say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then uh, Fourth Day and Fifth Day. Because they didn't want to say the pagan Germanic gods names of Woden Wednesday and Thursday. So uh, St. So Boniface. He's courageous like Saint Patrick, but instead of going to the Druid, Saint Boniface goes to the Germanic tribes. And uh, around Christmas in 722 A.D., he has an axe and he goes to Geismar, Germany, and he chops down Thor's tree. And some people say, "Well, wait a second, uh, you can't chop down Thor's tree." And some other people said, "Well, if Thor is really a god, he can protect his own tree." And so uh, Boniface chops the tree down. And then as the story goes, that he uses an evergreen tree to teach the concept of the Trinity, because it's sort of like in a triangle, and it always points toward heaven, and it's evergreen, symbolizing everlasting life, and their homes were built of cedar or evergreen. Um, Abraham planted a cedar tree, a tamarisk tree, and, um, and so Henry Van Dyke wrote a poem in 1906 titled The First Christmas Tree, and in there he says... The day before Christmas in the year of our Lord seven twenty two, and not a drop of blood shall fall tonight, for this is the birth night of Christ, Son of the All Father, Savior of the world. This little tree, a young child of the forest, shall be a home tree tonight. It is a wood of peace for your houses are built of fir, and it's a sign of everlasting life. Its branches are evergreen; it points toward heaven. Let it be called the tree of the Christ child. Gather about it with love and gifts of kindness. There's a statue of St. Boniface in Fritzlar, Germany, of him standing on the stump of a big oak tree with an axe in his hand. And with his other hand, he's holding a church because Boniface is to the Germans what St. Patrick is to the Irish. And the Christmas tree is symbolic of the Germans converting to Christianity, similar to the three leaf clover, symbolic of the Irish converting to Christianity. And so the Germans would put the, the Christmas tree in their homes, right? As a symbol of the Germans converting to Christianity. And um, now the lights in the tree. Uh, lights were in this season because the Jews had candles uh, to remember Hanukkah. And uh, the story is that King Cyrus of Persia let the Jews go back, rebuild a temple. And then Persia was conquered by Alexander the Great. And again, the Greeks took over. And the, there was a uh, one of Alexander's generals uh, set up what's called the Seleucid Empire, which controlled Syria and the Holy Land. And he was a super pagan. And um, uh, he trashed the temple and had them sacrifice pigs and he killed them if they circumcised their children. He was a horrible guy. Well, the uh, Maccabees were sort of a guerrilla warfare group. And the Jews drove Antiochus Epiphanes out. Re- uh, wanted to clean up the temple that had been trashed and they only had enough oil for one day. They poured in that seven golden candlestick, the menorah, and it only um, it had enough oil for one day, but it kept burning for, for an entire week. And so that's commemorated as called the Feast of Dedication. And the Jews would put the, the eight uh, stick uh, candelabra uh, in their windows. The The one, the eighth candle was used to light the other seven. And um, and so Martin Luther was the one who possibly could have seen these candles in the windows of the Jews, and Martin Luther. Uh, and by the way, that was one sixty five BC, is when the Maccabees drove this Antiochus Epiphanes out, and they rededicated the temple. Um, Jesus was in Jerusalem, according to the Gospel of John, for the Feast of Dedication, and revealed himself as the light of the world. And um, so but it was Martin Luther who was coming home one night and decided to put some candles in the branches of the evergreen tree and told his children it was like the sky above Bethlehem on the night of Christ's birth. And so that's where we get those traditions from. Uh, Puritans didn't celebrate Christmas uh, because uh, under Henry VIII, it became sort of a lewd party time, sort of a Mardi Gras. People forget Mardi Gras used to be a spiritual day. It was the day before Lent when you would fast 40 days before Easter, but now Mardi Gras is a party time. That's sort of what happened with Christmas under Henry VIII. It became a carousing and wassailing and drinking and so forth. Uh, the Puritans uh, didn't like that, and so they outlawed Christmas. They even outlawed Shakespeare mentioning God in his plays, and that's when Shakespeare would write Twelfth Night and have Saturnalia Bacchus type thing and the Midsummer's Night's Dream and and uh, uh, and then it was during this time that the Puritans settled America. They did not celebrate Christmas, but when the Germans came over as immigrants and then the Dutch and then the Italians and all the rest came over, they did love the Christmas traditions and it all sort of got mixed together in America. Uh, there's more there, but uh, at least there's a little bit from the book. There really is a Santa Claus, the history of St. Nichols and Christmas holiday traditions. And um, with that, I wish you all A merry Christmas as we get close to the holiday. God bless.